following message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, everyone. It's a beautiful day again. And I was thinking recently about a story I once heard, and I don't know if it's true or not, about a nun who was found in a very weak state by a fellow passenger on a transatlantic crossing to America. And it turned out she hadn't eaten for a few days because she had not brought enough food with her to last the whole 10 days of the crossing. Now, the passenger who found her had the happy task of telling her that the ticket she had bought to cross the Atlantic actually covered all her meals aboard as well. And that nun full of joy headed straight to the restaurant, knowing that what she already had was much more than she'd ever imagined. Now I wonder how many of us as believers think of our salvation as a ticket to heaven, but that we must live starved of the presence and the knowledge of God till we get there. We are missing the truth that there is much more to receiving Christ's life than we ever imagined. The Apostle Paul said it this way, But where sin abound, grace did much more abound. I believe the Holy Spirit comes to reveal to us what much more actually means. Could it be that much more actually means much more than we thought much more meant? How much exactly is much more? You know, I think some Christians think of sin and grace a bit like yin and yang, the Chinese belief that the positive and the negative are equal and complementary, balancing each other out. If you think the grace of God is merely God's response to sin, then you'll always underestimate the grace of God. For sin has never been the measure God uses to determine his grace. What a terrible waste to live a life grossly underestimating the grace of God, only to finally discover at the end of life that there had always been much more for us. Sin does not determine the measure of the grace of God. Grace cannot be defined as God's response to sin because grace existed long before there was sin. Grace predates the fall. Now, we've already seen that several times in recent weeks with that scripture in 2 Timothy 1, which says how long the grace of God has been toward us. Those verses describe God's purpose and grace as given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see, the appearing of Jesus revealed the grace that had always been ours from before the world began. Grace did not begin in our life when we came to faith in Christ. It's the other way around. We only came to faith in Christ by the grace of God. Understanding that faith is a gift from God that comes by hearing the gospel, that set me free from the cycle of condemnation that I was trapped in as I repeatedly tried to produce faith from within myself and failed. Never tell anyone they need more faith. Just give them the gospel that brings faith. Don't tell me I need more faith. Just give me more of that gospel that brings faith. The gospel that leaves my hope in what Christ has done for me, not the one that leaves my hope in what I need to do for him. Don't give me a gospel that points to my sin and asks me, what am I going to do about it? 
Give me the gospel that points me to Christ and declares what he has done about it. Give me the gospel that reveals to me the grace of God in the face of Christ and that grace abounding much more than all my sin. You see, the sin in our life was never the measure God used in determining the blessing he has poured out on us. This is so important because if we uh, don't start to see this, that the measure God uses in his dealings with us is not our record, then we won't be open to receive what he wants us to, much more than we ever asked or imagined. Do you know what will free you from waiting around for a lifetime for God to bless or heal you? The truth that God does not bless you according to your record because he has already blessed you according to someone else's record, Jesus Christ. In him, you have been blessed and healed because in him, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. This is what God means by much more. Listen to how the New Testament describes the way God measures out his blessing to us, how he measures out redemption, the forgiveness of sins that we have in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 declares, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. There is that abounding grace again. Grace isn't just amazing, it's abounding, and abounding much more than the church is availing of. Christ and him crucified is the appearing of the much more of God. The Father sent Jesus so that we could see in his face the invisible God and see the love on that face, much more love than we've ever seen in this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says it like this, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, the Greek word there for glory is doxa. Strong's definition of doxa, glory, is opinion, judgment, view. God's glory is his opinion, his judgment, his view. Jesus came that we would see the Father's opinion of us in the face of Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. Jesus came that we would see the Father's opinion of us, the glory of God, in the face of Jesus Christ. If the world does not see the face of Jesus Christ, the revelation he brought of the Father, then they can neither see nor accept the glory of God, his view and opinion of them. For was it not Jesus himself who said, no one comes to the Father but by me? You see, Christ dying for us was the revelation, the appearing of how much more God's grace abounds towards us than any natural mind could have conceived of. The word of God, God's view and opinion of you and I, God's glory <laughs> to become flesh and dwell among us so that we could see and so receive the truth of his opinion of us, his much more than we ever asked or imagined opinion of us. And that's exactly what Jesus said happened 2,000 years ago. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever would believe in him, that is, would receive Jesus as the true revelation of the view and opinion of God for us, would not remain cut off from the grace, the love, the life of God. So God's blessing, his grace poured out in our lives, predated the fall. God's blessing toward us is much more 
than our worldly imagination can handle because his glory, his view and opinion given to us in Christ, unlike the world's view and opinion of us, is not according to our record, but according to the riches of his grace. Let me say that in a different way. His love for you is so great that he determined he was never going to entrust his blessing on your life to something as weak and as fickle as your feelings, your willpower, your strength. I mean, do you wait to see how your children turn out before you love them? Do you wait to see how your children turn out before you provide for them? This is the measure of God's love for us. He did not wait to see our performance before he loved us or provided for us. Rather, Romans 5.8 declares, God demonstrated his love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love that verse. When you and I were powerless to do anything to merit or move God, it was then he moved heaven and earth for us and gave us everything he had. Our salvation is to the glory of his grace, not the glory of our record. Our salvation is to the glory of his grace, not the glory of our record. He set it up that way so that no man can boast, can point to himself as the source of his own life. What I'm saying is that God made up his mind about you and I before we were even born. He has loved us from all eternity, but his love must be received. To live in his love, we must receive his love. But how are we to fully live, fully receive, if we're not fully seeing or hearing of this much more love? How can I believe? How can I know the much more life if I've never even heard of the much more life? And that's why I want to speak to you now about the way the gospel is so often being preached by us without a revelation of the much more nature of the love of God. If there is no revelation in our preaching of the nature of the love of God, then we're not preaching in the power of the Spirit, for the Spirit always pours into hearts the love of God, that we may know Him much more. This is why we've been given the Spirit that comes from God, that we may know the things that have been freely given. Do you know what the Holy Spirit wants to show us? That what has been freely given to us by God is much more than any human heart has ever imagined. If it wasn't, we would need the Holy Spirit. The gospel is so often preached as if eternal life is a place, heaven or hell. But that is not how Jesus himself defined eternal life. Listen to his words to the Father recorded in John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, eternal life is not about where you go. It's about who you know. Eternal life is not about where you go. It is about who you know. Because eternal life doesn't begin when you die. It begins with knowing Christ, the much more love of God. Let me use an illustration this morning to talk about knowing God because he so wants us to know him and to know his much more love is to know him. You know, a few years ago, I remember watching a film that came out called Jerry Maguire starring Tom Cruise. Now, in a nutshell, it's a love story about a woman who loves a man, but he does not respond to her love. And although they get married, he does it out of duty. On that foundation, their marriage is very rocky. Now, at one point, he tries to assure his wife that he will not leave her, and he gives her a reason which he thinks will impress her. He says something like, I'm a sticker. I'm not quitting. She is not impressed. Do you know why? 
she knows that's not love. She knows she deserves so much more than that. God deserves so much more than that too. For him, the gospel is about love. For too many Christians, it's about duty, obedience, sacrifice. We won't quit, we tell the Lord. That's not who we are. We aren't quitters. We think our not quitting, our lives of sacrifice will please him. But he's always wanted something more than our obedience. He desires that we feel the same way about him as he does about us. You know, I remember when the Holy Spirit began to awaken me to the truth that what Christ had done about my sin was so much more than I had ever imagined, that the Father did not see me nor relate to me according to the depth of my sin, but according to the riches of his grace. To be honest, I was nervous about sharing this belief with people because I imagined what they would say. In my head, the conversation always ran something like this. I, I would tell them that because of Christ and him crucified, our sins are no longer being counted against us. And they would say, oh, so you're saying we can just do what we want. And I would always imagine myself replying, no, I'm not saying that you can do what you want. But at that point, the Holy Spirit would always check me. And I knew there was something fundamentally not right about what I just said. I couldn't escape the conclusion that the Holy Spirit was in fact saying, yes, I am saying they can do what they want because I want them to want me. Now imagine if one day you as a husband or wife turned to your loved one and said, tell me the truth, why are you married to me? What would you feel like if their answer was, because I was afraid that if I didn't marry you, something terrible would happen to me? I mean, would you be happy with that as the basis of your relationship? that it wasn't so much that they wanted you, more that they didn't want the alternative? Well then, church, if we wouldn't be happy with that answer, why on earth would we think that the Lord is? What husband can be content knowing that his bride chose him, not because of who he is, but because of where he lived? Now, I like this part of the world we live in. I think it's heavenly. But if I found out that Nicola only married me to escape some hellish environment in England, I'd be heartbroken. Why on earth would we think that the Lord is pleased with people preaching the gospel as a matter of heaven and hell in order to fill churches with people who believe in God, who believe they're going to heaven, but don't know at all the heart, the love, the truth about the one who desires to call them his bride? I mean, Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well that the Father desires worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. That's worshipers who know him whom they are worshiping. You know, by the grace of God, multitudes of people are going to heaven, but in not preaching a gospel that reveals Christ, the church is sending them on a blind date. The gospel is not blind date, and it is not location, location, location. It is the greatest love story in the world, the greatest love story ever told. No human love story can ever match the way we're loved by God, but we can see shadows of that love even reflected in human lives. You know, to come back to that film, uh, Jerry Maguire, the husband eventually sees his wife for who she is and realizes that he loves her. And he takes a plane and the, he rushes home and being Tom Cruise, of course, he does an awful lot of running. And uh, he arrives at her house and he supposes that she may not even see him or listen to any apology or one word he has to say. So he comes through the door 
and he says hello and when she tries to speak he asks her not to say a word and he spends the next few minutes trying to explain himself and apologize profusely in an effort to earn back her love. He doesn't know that in fact she's not actually listening to his apology as if she's going to make up her mind and whether to take him back based on the earnestness of his apology. No, she is no more measuring his repentance than the father of the prodigal son did in Luke 15. Do you remember the prodigal son also arrived home with his carefully rehearsed speech on how sorry he was and how much he promised to make it all good by changing his behavior and the father isn't listening. Instead, he is interrupting him by showering him with blessings because his love for his son had never been based on the son's work and so had never been changed, neither by the son's sin nor his repentance. Because although the prodigal son and you and I may define ourselves, our worth by our actions, the one who has loved us from before the foundation of the world never has. Not to know his love, that sort of love, is not to know him. It is not God's desire that you come to heaven on a blind date. That is why he has given his Holy Spirit, for it is his Spirit who pours into our hearts the love of God. Why? That we could live on this earth knowing him, live in this earth being blown away by his grace and love, live in this earth filled to overflowing with thanksgiving, for that is the only true manifestation of the Christian life, the life of Christ, the life of him who, when faced with the tragedy and the grief and the lack in this world, always spoke from a place of thanksgiving. What the Holy Spirit would reveal to the church is that the love of God is not like the love of man. His love is not a love that is held back until he sees or hears how sorry we are for what we have done. Your repentance is not what moves God to embrace you, for unlike a man, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 verse 8. Before we had done one thing to earn the love of God, he gave to us in Christ everything he had to give to set us free to love him for who he is, not for what we can get out of him. Only by giving us all he had, Christ could the Father set us free to love him for who he is, not for what he can give? How can a rich man know that he's being married for who he is and not for what he has? Here is God's solution. He gives all he has away and comes with nothing of earthly riches to recommend him. Only the way he lives for you and the way he dies for you. The prophet Isaiah wrote this of Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Yes, he is not afraid of giving you the freedom to do what you want because his desire was always for you to want him for who he is, not for what he has. For this we have Christ the perfect revelation of the heart of the Father and the Holy Spirit who ministers Christ to us, imparts to us the much more love of God, a love that is unchanged by our works. Neither our sin nor our repentance change him. Repentance is a change in us, in our heart toward him, not in his heart toward us. 
He made up his mind, his heart about us a long time ago before the foundation of the world. It was the appearing of Christ and him crucified that brought to light God's love for us, a love that is from all eternity. But it is only in knowing the magnitude of God's love, knowing that your lifetime of sin is like a sandcastle before the incoming tide of his love, that lets his love wash away from your thinking all trace of what you had built in your own strength and willpower to try and impress him. We don't have to live trying to impress him. We can live impressed by him, so impressed by his love that the weight of his love presses us and shapes us back into the image of who he sees us to be, those who can love perfectly because they are perfectly loved. You know, when Jesus sends his disciples onto the road with the words, freely you have received, freely give, once again, it's more than just an exhortation, it is a prophecy. Each of us can only freely give the love of God to the extent that we have freely received the love of God. A church who will not freely receive the love of God cannot freely give the love of God, but will inevitably start to charge for it. Get religious. You see, neither our sin nor our repentance change the nature of God. So don't waste your days by spending your life offering up to God your apologies for living in fear and doubt and for all the actions that fear produces. Instead, let his Holy Spirit, let this truth about his unchanging love for you so root and establish your life in the solid rock of his love for you and not in the shifting sands of your love for him. As that happens, you will start to live life with such a thanksgiving and a confidence that the world around you start to see that you are not trying to become someone in order to be loved. You are being someone who is perfectly loved. Only perfectly loved people can live in a way that reveals perfect love. Only perfectly loved people can live in a way that reveals perfect love. Our Heavenly Father wants this world to know his perfect love and that's why his spirit is given, that his church can live as the perfectly loved. Live with their eyes on him, not themselves. Live with their eyes on his obedience, not theirs. His sacrifice, not theirs. His love, not theirs. Now I described earlier how at the end of that film, Jerry Maguire, there is a scene where the husband, played by Tom Cruise, is laying all his hopes for redemption, for being reunited with his wife, on how well he can repent before her. He comes through the front door of the home and he says hello, but then refuses to let his wife say one word until he feels he has confessed enough or said sorry enough. After listening for some moments to all he has to say, she finally interrupts him with one memorable line that silences him and brings his heart into rest. She says, shut up, you had me at hello. God's words are so powerful that he wants us to hear what he is saying. It really helps to hear what someone is saying if you will shut up long enough to listen. Now just think of all your years of prayer, all our years of worship, all the words that God has had to listen to. Think of all of our prayer lives, our worship lives as believers taken up by all our talking. From the moment we begin to speak to him, so much of what we say is an attempt to impress him, to move him, that he would change his mind about us. 
We've spent years trying to move him through our words, our prayers. We've spent years trying to become the people we think he could really love and draw near. I think his will for his body on earth, the church, was never for us to live as people trying to become with him, but as people being with him. We were never called to live and speak as a blind date. We were always called and always equipped by his spirit to live and speak as his bride. You know, when I'm nervous, I tend to talk too much, thinking my many words will cover over my inadequacies. I don't know about you. But you know, the next time you go to spend some time in prayer, I want you to remember these words, words that I believe the Holy Spirit would have his church to hear and be brought into rest through. This is what I believe the Lord is saying to his church. Shut up. You had me at hello. Stop trying to earn my love. I have always remained smitten by you. Nothing you did changed my love for you. You see, here is the revelation that Christ came to bring. Here is what the Father knew, that if only men could see in the face of Christ, they'd be free from religion forever and all the devil's lies. God is smitten by you. He always has been. He thinks about you nonstop. His thoughts toward you are always to prosper you, not harm you. And when men, by the revelation of the Spirit, catch a glimpse of the thoughts of God toward them, they're overwhelmed. Listen to what David wrote in Psalm 139. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Listen to that same verse from the contemporary English version. Your thoughts are far beyond my understanding, much more than I could ever imagine. I try to count your thoughts, but they outnumber the grains of sand on the beach. And when I awake, I will find you nearby. Can you hear what David experienced about the much more of God? To begin to know the much more love of God is to begin to know the much more presence of God. For God's love has always been a love that cannot stand back from us. The grace of God is not merely God's response to the fall. It is how he has always thought of us because grace is the very divine influence of an unchanging God. Listen to Strong's definition of the grace of God. The divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life including gratitude. You see, the sign of the grace of God in your life and mine is the gratitude you find there toward God. I'll say that again. The sign of the grace of God in your life is the gratitude you find there toward God. As you allow the message and the revelation of His grace, His character to grow in your life, so grows the thanksgiving in your heart until you can no longer keep it to yourself. But that grace, that thanksgiving in your heart toward God will overflow as his love compels you to speak to others of God's goodness, his glory, his view and opinion of them, his much more view and opinion of them. Now, why am I emphasizing this truth that God's grace in your life is not determined, is not measured and never has been measured by you and your behavior? because so much of the church is teaching people that they can get more out of God if only they tried a bit harder, prayed a bit more, gave a bit more, repented a bit more, cried a bit more. If you don't see what Jesus came to reveal, that you always had the Father's heart, that His grace has always been toward you, then you will live like the elder brother, estranged from the grace of the Father 
because he couldn't accept that his father was that generous. The elder brother couldn't accept what the father declared to him as he came out to plead with him. The father said, in effect, everything I have is yours already. I can't give you any more. You already have everything, and I'm always with you. If you and I insist on resisting the grace of God and clinging to our record, our life, rather than to Christ's record, as the measure of how God should bless us, then we will forfeit the grace that could be ours. In the words of Jonah, a man who is deeply offended by the grace of God, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. You know, I've served the Lord as a leader in a local church for over 20 years. I've worked hard, I've sacrificed many things, but the moment I dare bring any of that before the Lord as the reason he should bless me or the church, I have chosen to turn away from the very truth that Christ came to reveal. The grace of God in my life has never and will never be measured by my sacrifice, but by the sacrifice that is beyond measure, Christ and him crucified. Grace and sin are not like yin and yang, more like your sin is a sandcastle and the grace of God is the incoming tide. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. That beautiful hymn goes on to say, on the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above, and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. The tide of his grace was there long before your sandcastle of sin. We only love him because he first loved us. And God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we had done one thing to earn the love of God, he gave to us in Christ everything he had to give to set us free to love him for who he is, not for what we can get out of him. Only by giving us all he had, Christ, could the Father set us free to love him for who he is, not for what he can give. Only knowing that you're loved much more than you've ever asked or imagined lets you live much more than you've ever asked or imagined. And that is what he's always wanted for us, to love as he loves and so live as he lives, freely. Our salvation is to the glory of His grace, not the glory of our record, so that our lives may point to His much more love for us, not our love for Him. Eternal life is not about where you go, it's about who you know. And the Holy Spirit is at work in the church right now that we would know Him much more than we've ever known Him before, so much more that the church would live as His bride, not His blind date, and the world, in seeing His much more life in us, Christ would know that such perfectly loved children must have a perfectly loving Father. God bless you.